This is the Isaac Hyde Show. I am your host, Lord Isaac, your Duke of Decisiveness, your Earl of Exceptionalism, your Marquis de Machismo, half my brain dead from all the drivel that comes out of the left, the media, and Hollywood these days, talent on loan from the great mover unmoved on condition of excellence, and excellence is what will greet you in each and every episode of this podcast. Your home for helpful truths, at least from my perspective. Well, our friends in the woke crowd tell us that fatherhood is unnecessary, that a single mother can raise children just as well as anyone else. And we, we keep hearing that you know men are bad, especially white men in, in particular, but men are bad. Uh, and this, this perpetuates this idea that somehow masculinity being toxic and, and it's, it's this really horrible thing, right? Yeah, where, where we men, we're, we're the problem. Everything relates to us. It's all us. And nowhere in that process does somebody stop to think why for, you know, a quarter of a million years, 200,000 years odd that, that there have been human beings on this planet in their present form that we've had fathers as in playing an essential role in every family. What is fatherhood? All right. Now, in my own unique experience as I'm introducing this new podcast to you, uh, I was... Uh, part of a broken family like a lot of people were in my generation. Uh, my mom, my dad, they didn't work out. And I ended up, <laughs> after some horrible stuff, we won't go into it just this moment, I ended up with my maternal grandfather, who thankfully chose to raise me as his son, not just as his grandson. And so I had a father, and I want to be able to pass on from that generation, from a time when uh, men knew how to be men, knew how to be honorable, dignified, and decent, uh, some of those values. And so we can understand what, what is the role of a father. And this is important because a lot of the young men are going to be fathers or might want to be fathers uh, or are trying to be fathers. Uh, a lot of our young women these days would like to know what is appropriate behavior for a man. I've met a lot of uh, younger women who are uh, in like domestic control, domestic violence relationships that are absolutely unhealthy and inappropriate, but they don't understand that it's not okay for men to act like that. So I want to talk a little bit about what is fatherhood on that scale and also give you a sense. I mean, if you, if you didn't have a father, what are you lacking uh, for both men and women? As a father of six, uh, I can speak with some expertise on this up to the teenage level and uh, I've mentored a lot of young adults, so I have a, a pretty keen sense of, of it from my own experience, but also having had a good father. Uh, my, my dad, was uh, he was tough, but uh, thanks to his toughness, here I am, being what I am. There are three very important things I think a father does uh, for a boy uh, when, when he has his boy. And uh, the first of those are, you know, you fall down, you scrape your knee, uh, when you're three-year-old and, and you're in pain. And dad picks you up and he comforts you. And you know that you're loved and you know that you're safe. And that's a very important thing. Uh, that, that safety, uh, that when dad kind of tosses you onto the bed and he's tickling you a little bit and bouncing you, you can feel comfortable knowing that you're not going to be hurt. And that, that play, as, as psychologists will tell you, that play is really important to human development. It really builds that sense of safety and security with another person. So if you don't have that, it can be awfully difficult to trust people, even in that, in that I want to say, muscle memory, instinctive, very basic level, right? You, you, it was just so – it's so important 
when you're three years old and you gotta think about, you know, your brain is developing at three. If that's not there, you're missing a lot of stuff. So when you're trying to fill that in later on in life, it, you know, your whole brain structure may be structured wrong and you're gonna have to think about how to restructure that. So that's the first thing, that, that loving safety, right? Uh, it's most important. And that applies to relationships as well. Uh, no woman should feel unsafe with a man around, uh, her, her romantic interest. She shouldn't feel at risk of being abused. She shouldn't feel at risk of being forced to do anything she doesn't want to do. She should feel safe and comfortable in his presence. I, I go, this, this DV thing just drives me nuts. That's not honorable and that's not man, manly. That's not masculinity. So here we've got dad, okay? So now we're, we're three We've got that sense of security, all right? You get to be about five years old, and you're trying to ride your bike for the first time, and you fall off, and, you know, you're crying, you, you know, your knees hurt. Again, here, you're, you're upset. And this time, uh, Dad kind of puts his hand on his shoulder and says, get back on the bike. There is not, nothing quite so important as that moment where, uh, in addition to offering some of that emotional support you received earlier on, now, it's not just the emotional support. You've already got that. You know dad loves you. You know you're safe. But now it's time to get back on that bike. You're not going to let the bike beat you. You've got to get back on that bike. You've got to ride. You've got to go. Uh, quitters never win. So this is the thing. You know, you, you've, got a, you've got a father who kind of pushes you that extra little bit of uh, motivation. Go get it. Go make it happen. Okay, you fell and you got hurt. You screw up sometimes. You make mistakes. Accidents happen. It's kind of natural there. Uh, but now you get back up and you get back on the bike and you roll. The last thing, and, and this is the most important one, I, I kind of saved it for last mostly because I want to talk about it at length, and that is the example, all right? There is nothing more important a father does than his example. If dad isn't there, if he's gone and just never shows up and never tries, what kind of example is that? Right? What are we teaching young men? Right? You can just, you know, you can do the crime, but you don't have to do the time. You know, they leave the kids to the to the nanny state and mom, and she'll have to take care of it. Uh, and and that's the kind of that that's the kind of dishonorable conduct that is unbecoming of men. I mean, look, if you want to do that and you don't want to have kids, there's contraception. The the best contraception, of course, is don't put what goes where where, and uh, you don't cause. You know, if you don't do it, you won't have the kid. You know, so don't go there, all right? But if you're going to go there and there's a chance that a child might be born, you're responsible. And one of the first things my dad taught me, you're responsible. All right, so now you're in the position of being a father. What's that example, okay? My children are little sponges. Every child is. They're watching everything that goes on around them. They watch that I'm there. They watch that I provide safety in the home. They're watching how I relate and react to their mother, all right? They see that... Mom and dad love each other. They see that dad treats mom with dignity and respect, that she's an equal in the house, that there are some aspects of our family situation that she's in charge of, that she directs. And she asks me to do things and I do them. And sometimes I ask her to do things and she does them. But more often than not, in the house especially, this is her, her domain and her turf. That is key example. Now, if I'm yelling and screaming all the time, if there's a lot of violence in the house and people are, you know, throwing things at each other and hating each other, uh, if there's any kind of uh, somebody being smacked around, beaten up or controlled or whatever, kids are watching that too. And that's what they're going to assume is right, right? And I would never, ever want my daughter to think it's okay for a man to treat her that way. That is not going to happen. And if he tries, I'm going to be there with a baseball bat or a shotgun or something because that, that is not going to be allowed. Not with my little girl. So that example 
is that most important component. If you're a father and you go and you try, maybe you and mom didn't work out, but you know what? On your weekends, on your, your couple weeks in the summer, you're there, you're trying. You show them that there's somebody who loves them, somebody who cares, and they are engaged. You're trying. Then there's some example there. Uh, in an ideal environment, obviously, children will be raised by biological parents in a perfect world, but that isn't always the way life works. And unfortunately, these days especially, people find a lot of bad relationships. Uh, I'm going to talk at length in other podcasts about how to have a healthy relationship, what I like to call the strategic partnership, uh, using somewhat like business and strategy terminology. But I think that will help to tease out the important factors in finding your life partner. Uh, I have a really great partner who's really good for me. Uh, she smacks me upside the head when I'm out of line, holds me accountable, which is the most important thing. Uh, but at the same time, we're well-matched. We, we get along well. We don't really argue and fight with each other. When we have disagreements. We talk it out, figure out what we need to do. And uh, sometimes uh, I just have to suck it up and, and do my part. Uh, other times, you know, she'll make some changes. But that's equality. That's, that's how it works. That's what a healthy relationship looks like. And so fatherhood as an example for the kids. Now, for, for young men, that example is really important there because, of course, these are future fathers, potentially, right? And they're going to go out and they're going to, my boys, all five of them, they're going to go out and they're going to do what they've seen me do. And they're going to build families based on their own experiences, right? And then there's my daughter, young women, and what the father does from them. In a way, uh, I would say that, that a father is essential for a young man, uh, when, when you reach that stage where you're an adult, you need to have had a father who was there who provided those things to you. If you don't, and, and we'll talk about that quite a bit here in the podcast, there are some things you're going to need to do. I want to say um, what they'd call in psychology, like cognitive behavioral therapy for yourself. It might even be very valuable to see a counselor about that. But you're going to have to spend a lot of time teaching yourself how to do those things very deliberately where – uh, you know, just 50 years ago, that was all stuff you just learned by watching your dad and, and fathers pass that, that knowledge down generation to generation. All right. So that, that's important for young men. But for young women, I almost want to say a father is the most important thing, uh, far more important even than uh, having a mother present. We have seen with young women when they're raised by mothers, uh, they're much more likely to be victimized sexually, uh, much more likely to be abused uh, or to fall into domestic violence relationships, that kind of thing. When they're raised by a single father, that's not the case. They're much less likely to fall into those kinds of situations. Nothing against mothers. Mothers are very important too. That, that nurturing, uh, loving, uh, safe mother figure is very important. I know because I didn't have it. So all this stuff I'm talking about, like cognitive behavioral therapy for, for daddy issues, well, uh, I had to do all of that myself for the mommy issues. So that's a, that's a topic for another time. All right. So for young women, for girls, having that father is so important. Those girls, for, for them, this man is the most important figure in their life for their first, you know, let's just say 18 years, of course, but, but even after that. This is their first love. This is the first man in their life. How he treats her, how he regards her, that's going to set the pattern for how she's going to feel about herself and how her relationships with other men are going to be throughout her lifetime. And it's just 
I, I can't even I can't even begin. If you look at some of the studies, uh, women, young adult women who did not have a father present in the home struggle so much. They struggle to enjoy reproductive behavior. Uh, they struggle to find healthy relationships. They struggle to, uh, I want to say, like hold men accountable, like I just described that, that my wife does. They struggle with a lot of that. They have terrible insecurity uh, about their bodies, too. Body insecurity is a big problem for women who didn't have fathers. And why not? I mean, when, when my daughter turns 18, she will have had 18 years of daddy loving her and hugging her, and she sat on daddy's lap, and daddy telling her that she's pretty and that she's very important to me, that importance that I can't even express. I mean, it's not even a, a matter of words. It's just that she knows that daddy loves her. Uh, that's going to give her security in dealing with men as an adult. Because she's going to know not only from the example provided of how mom and dad get along, uh, but also from knowing that her father loved her and, and daddy says she's a princess. Daddy says she's pretty. Those things will give her confidence to go forward and have a healthy life and have a, a healthy uh, relationship. Now, I, I've seen far too many young women who don't have that, and I have really had to uh, put my foot down a couple of times. I, I don't want to say that, you know, I tell people what to do. I, I like to, when I mentor people, I like to kind of do what we call uh, motivational interviewing and in, uh, something that, that comes out of uh, child welfare practice. I learned it in child welfare practice. It's a, it's a counseling technique where you talk to someone and without really telling them anything directly, you tease out of them and encourage them to come to conclusions on their own. So it's one of those, you know, that's a great idea. I'm glad you thought of it kind of things. You know, if you want to get somebody to do something or you think, you know, maybe they should uh, make a change in their life or what have you, and you can kind of help them talk around it themselves. And it's much better for them to come to that conclusion themselves. Uh, not everyone has the kind of reflective capacities that allow them to do that, but if it works, it works. So I really prefer to, to kind of talk that out with people. I had a young woman who was in a domestic violence relationship. He hadn't really become violent yet. And this is something a lot of people don't understand about DCDV. Domestic controllers are perpetrators uh, of this, this kind of mental abuse, this control over their partner, and it will become violent. I mean, it almost never stays just sort of, uh, I want to say ethereal. It, does, it doesn't stay in the realm of mental and, and verbal abuse, emotional abuse. It will definitely get into uh, physical abuse. It kind of starts with, uh, he becomes very disparaging of her and she's always wrong. And, you know, she's always a shiksa. <laughs> it's a Yiddish term. Uh, you can use your imagination to, to fill in the blanks there, but, you know, it's always her conduct that's the problem. He's never the problem. He can't be held accountable. He's above that. There's kind of a narcissism to it. And I had a young lady who was in a situation like that, and this guy would not leave her alone, and she wanted to break up with him. And I, I was talking it through with her. Uh, again, a, a young woman raised without a father present. He had just, whoever dad was, had just never bothered to make an effort and, and be around. And her mom did the best her mom could do in that situation. And, and her mom did a good job from what we consider parenting. I mean, if, uh, parenting scale, you can't really fault her. Uh, but, you know, she had to do it alone and with uh, various boyfriends who came and went uh, at different times. So this young lady... Uh, she was just really, really upset at the situation. And I finally drew out of her. I said, look, this guy is, it, you know, he's not treating you right. This is not the way any man should ever treat a woman. It's not okay. It's going to get violent. It's going to get worse. He's doing this gaslighting thing where uh, you'll, you'll say something or, or acknowledge reality and he'll tell you, get upset about it and tell you you're wrong, even though you know it's the truth. 
right? Uh, he, he the, the situation where uh, she was going to break up with him the next day, and that night uh, she happened to kiss some other guy, and he just latched onto this, and like, oh, look at you, you're such a blankety blank, and you're, you know, you're all these evil, horrible things, like, you know, you're you're so bad, and. Um, Again, there's, you know, she knows the reality is she was going to break up with this guy anyway. It was a kiss. I mean, seriously, people, who cares? This is a minor thing, but he grabs onto it and makes it sound like uh, she's all these horrible things for doing it, and he can get really upset about that. Uh, and when she tried to argue about, well, look, it was just a kiss, and of course, you know, that's when the gaslighting begins. Oh no, 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 you're you're all these things. You're you're bad, and why do I put up with you? And you see that then we go into that kind of thing, and over time, that will lead to the kind of browbeaten, depressed state that will unfortunately keep a woman in that situation. It's so terrible that these battered women stay there. And she was uh, she was really upset that night, uh, messaging back and forth with her. And you could tell she was crying, and. Uh, I, I, she straight up told me, but I love him. And I said, lady, girl, you love what he could be if he were a real person, but he's not. He's a monster. He doesn't love you. He wants to control you. And that's the thing about this DV thing. The, these guys don't love their partners. They want to control them. Okay. Men don't control women. All right. I'm a man. I have a wife. She chooses to be my partner. She wants to go somewhere else. She can do that anytime. All right. The thing that keeps us together is our mutual love and mutual respect. We are equals in our home. And this is what I want. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, guys, there's nothing sexier than having a great woman, you know, whether she's gorgeous, whether she's smart, whatever attracted you to her, she chooses to be by your side. I mean, man, that is just the best thing ever when you have that good strategic partnership and, you know, you have a good sense of humor and you can laugh together and you know that, you know, you'll be able to grow old with this person and you'll always have someone to, someone will have your back, right? Somebody who'll be there for you. There's nothing better than that. All right. But you don't want to control someone. You know, I don't want my wife to stay because I have some kind of uh, abusive uh, or, or uh, psychological, psychologically abusive hold on her. She's so depressed. That's not fun. That's not cool. Uh, and a lot of these domestic controllers, they cheat a lot. They'll, they'll go uh, hire uh, ladies of the evening and they'll run around with uh, women in their circle. And I think a lot of that is because they don't actually love the people they control. They just want to control them. And so they're going out looking for a more satisfying experience. Uh, unfortunately, they, they don't understand that you can't have a satisfying experience in uh, a control situation uh, that that's not that's not cool. Uh, this is one of these things that just really drives me nuts about this younger generation, and and I feel so bad for you guys that you don't know what fatherhood looks like. It's been a couple generations. A lot of the people that I'm talking to, like they're, they're young men who didn't have a father, whose fathers didn't have fathers. You know, it's it's gone down several generations now and nobody knows what the heck, you know, nobody knows what's right. Nobody knows what's wrong. And I've had too many people come to me and say, you know, they, they see this happy family situation that I have and my, my, my own circumstances. Again, the example, uh, a righteous man in, in my belief system <laughs> as a Jew, a righteous man is a shining city on a hill. Uh, he makes himself an example to others, uh, a light that shines so that others can see. And he avoids behaviors that even though they wouldn't necessarily be illegal in the sense of, of morally right or wrong, but that would lead others astray, right? You don't, you don't do things that uh, could encourage other people to think, oh, yeah, well, if, if Isaac's a righteous man and he can go do this thing, then I can do this thing too. We should always try to be on our best behavior. It's not possible for any person to be perfect or always to be on their best behavior. But the more we try, 
take a, a high ethical standard for ourselves, uh, the better men and women we will be. So uh, I've had too many people come to me and just say, you know, how do you do that? I mean, it just seems impossible. It's, it's such a hill to climb. And I have to tell them, look, uh, my wife and I struggle with the same thing. I didn't have that mother around. I didn't have that nurturing. Uh, I, I can tell you, and, and I'm talking about fatherhood here, so that anyone should accuse me of being misogynist. I mean, lacking a mother is a huge hole in your life for a young man. I would say that the mother is almost more important for a young man than a father. Kind of like I was saying, a, a father is very important for a young girl than uh, necessarily her mother. I needed that love. I needed that care. And my mother couldn't be there. Uh, she was an addictive personality, had her own mental health problems. Uh, she couldn't be a, a healthy part of my life. And as I grew older, I began to see why. And that's, that's a hard thing for a, a young person to learn as well. When you kind of realize that you've, I want to say you've outgrown, but... You're, you're more mature or perhaps mentally healthier than your own parent. And that, that's, a, that's something no one should ever have to experience, honestly. So there I am. You know, I, I understand. I understand what it's like to, to be without this important family member in your life. And that is, that's a whole, that's a, a terrible thing. I had to overcome that. So I'm working on my my mommy issues, if you will. My dear wife, her, her family broke up. Uh, her mom and dad were not well matched for one another and not well suited. They made a good effort. They tried. And they had their own problems going back to their own family situations and some of that going back generations, just like my family. And so uh, we, we had to, I want to say, we had to reinvent the wheel. You know, we, we got together in college and I realized that she was really a great partner. She was like a, it was like I, I was dating my best friend. It was an awesome thing. We could talk about anything. Uh, she was a complimentary geekette just as much as I was a geek. We'd talk about history and politics and, uh, you know, joke, our humor, sense of humor was similar. We became inseparable and it was a really good experience. So there we are. We're, we're kind of together and we kind of got a good thing going. It's like, okay, so, um, how do we how do we create this this more traditional relationship? I mean, okay, so we had women's lib, we've had uh, free love, we've we've opened our minds. Okay, you know, my my best friend is gay. Uh, nobody cares about this stuff anymore. This is great. You know, uh, be whatever you want to be, love whoever you want to love. Okay, we we've had the peace, love, and whatever. I wear my John Lennon sunglasses. All you need is love, love. Okay, so life is good. But what about what's healthy? Okay, and I know what's healthy for me was having this great relationship. But I found that as soon as we got into that relationship, all of a sudden we kind of started losing our friends because they were in an entirely different phase of life. They, they weren't ready for the kind of commitment and responsibility of moving on. So there we were, young adults in our 20s in college, finishing out our, our degrees and like we, we just didn't quite fit in with anybody anymore. And over time, we just kind of drifted away. We, we did get some hate, I will say. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I <laughs> mean, in Santa Cruz County, California, in the, in the left coast, the left of the left, uh, Santa Cruz is where people go when San Francisco gets to be too conservative. So that gives you some idea what uh, San, Santa Cruz was like. It was kind of a good place to grow up the time I was there. It was very free and open and you could say anything, think anything. Uh, there, there were very few, uh, there was no judgment. to say, very few people out there who were all, you know, up in your face about, you know, that's all right. But it started getting a little bit uh, cancel cultish toward the end. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, people started saying, well, you know, you two are white, you're a white couple. You, you shouldn't be together. I'm like, wait, say what? I mean, 
the, the whole point of, of overcoming racial bias and all this kind of stuff was that we just weren't going to get into that kind of stuff. What was wrong with that? And then, you know, some of her friends started getting into, you know, so you're going you're gonna to get together with a Jew? It's like, oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, we're in the Rainbow Coalition, people. I mean, oh, my God, uh, we're, we're a religious minority and a tiny one at that. What, what happened here? So this got to be um, a little bit hateful sometimes. Uh, people just... Uh, deciding that somehow uh, the fact that we wanted to have a more traditional relationship, the fact that we were so young, really we were at the right time, I think, and had uh, found each other and really liked each other, that somehow there was something wrong with this. So again, we, we kind of lost that circle. I didn't know what to do. Uh, my dad had always taught me to do the right thing, and, and he had a great sense of, of masculinity and honor. And, and that kind of thing. But even his marriage hadn't worked out years before, back in the 60s, in a generation that also had a lot of marital problems. So again, you know, you get this generations of people and I'm, where am I going to get uh, these values? So uh, I reached into the, into the library and pulled out my Torah, which is uh, the, the first five books of anybody's Bible, uh, whatever, whatever version of the Bible you want to read. And I started reading, and I, I read through that. And I started going to synagogue more often. I, I jumped around different synagogues until I found one that was right. Finally, I, I arrived at the synagogue that was made up mostly of Egyptian immigrants. And I, I'm telling you, I love these people so much. Uh, they had all the blessings and hospitality of Arab culture, which is really hospitable and inviting. Uh, and, and they had a, a, a strong sense of that traditional value system of family and, and faith. And um, you know, they were very much about, well, the man is the leader of the family and this kind of stuff. Okay, so that stuff goes back a little bit. I want to say it's a little bit backward to our culture. We're, we're very much more equal peace, love, and all that good stuff. But I kind of got a better sense of why we can went in the direction we went because of what could be seen as being dysfunctional in that system. It, it taught me why we got to where we got. And these, these guys, having come from Egypt to America, being forced out of Egypt, the Egyptian government literally arrested and put some of these Jewish people in concentration camps for three years just for being Jewish. And they finally got out and they escaped to France and finally were able to get visas to come to the U.S. and work. And uh, they eventually built this synagogue. And they had the, the advantage of having learned American culture and learning our peace, love, and all, all of our good stuff on, on the left coast of of California. So they really had a great perspective on what works and what doesn't work. I'm very, I want to say utilitarian in that way. Uh, what, you know, greatest good for the greatest number, that, that's you, Jeremy Bentham's utilitarianism. But uh, you could almost combine that, I want to say, with uh, some Eastern philosophy uh, and just say, go with what works. All right, if this is what works, if this is what's healthy, then let's do it. And let's not worry about uh, whether it looks like, you know, past more traditional things. Let's just Let's just go with it. So we, we got to know them and we start to be more traditional and my wife converted and we, we got married and eventually we started having kids and, and we were being very deliberate. We made our, our plans. We decided what we wanted to do and we did it. And there's, there's again, nothing better than that because now all of my children know that they were wanted, that we planned to have them, that we've dedicated a lot of energy to raising them and giving them the best upbringing, a far better one than we received. They're going to have two parents who stay together, who love them. And we're not going to pass on all the, the tripe, all the nonsense from the past generations, all of this mental illness and, and all of these, these traumas and pain. Uh, we're not going to pass that on to the next generation. They're going to have a much better life. And then they are going to pass that happy tradition on to their children. The 
I want to say the philosophical founder of conservatism as we understand it in Anglo-American society. I'll use that term a lot. It's kind of a, a Churchill Churchill-based term, in Anglo-American society was Edmund Burke. And Edmund Burke had, a, had this great line that he, he wrote in his uh, book on the, the countering the French Revolution, all this revolutionary nonsense. And he said, look, whatever happens, each generation owes the next generation a functional tradition. All right, things are going to change over time. Technology changes, people changes, needs change, belief systems change. Uh, at that time, uh, in that situation, everybody was mostly pretty devout Protestant uh, Protestant Christian or Catholic. Today, uh, we have a broad range of religious ideas where a lot of people are fairly secular. Maybe they go to church once in a while. Maybe they go to synagogue once in a while, but we're much more open-minded today. That's a change, right? So the things are going to change over time, but regardless of what changes, we still owe our next generation a functional tradition. We, uh, we owe them a sense of what is right and what is wrong, what is permissible and what is impermissible. And that's where the breakdown of that is causing so much harm in our families today. This is where we're getting a lot of this domestic violence, where we're getting a lot of these, uh, this criminal behavior, abuse, terrible abuse, especially by step-parents, uh, especially stepfathers against stepchildren. This is where this comes from. People who are insecure and mentally ill themselves, who don't have a strong grounding in what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is immoral, and who don't know how to behave. All right? So I'm going to leave you on this topic with something my dad taught me. And he said, masculinity, being a man, is about honor. All right? A man should be as good as his word. If I say I'm going to do something, I should do it. If I make a commitment, I should follow through on it. That... This should be, uh, I want to say, sort of a chivalrous code that we live by. And when we're opening doors for the ladies or for anyone at, at the grocery store or uh, the gas station, when we're, when we're being polite and courteous to other people, that's honor. Even if they don't respond with the politeness or courteousness, even if they insult you or spit at you, you still behave at the highest level of that honor and dignity. And you respect everyone because uh, my dad was a working man. Uh, I'm somewhat, you know, I work in a, a blue collar field. I run a business. Uh, I work around a lot of people who work for a living. And I will tell you, they're the smartest people. All these people who go to college, they, they go to college to become idiots, unfortunately. Uh, some great people do go to college. I'm not, not picking on everybody, but a lot of people I see who have college educations, you, you look at them and it's like, you know, who wipes your butt? I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know that you know how to do that. Uh, these, these, some of these guys, you know, well, I've got a degree in whatever. And it's like, okay, can you change a tire on a car? No. I call uh, roadside assistance. Sure, sure you do. Of course you do, because you can't do anything for yourself. You don't know how to take care of your own, <laughs> your own vehicle, right? Um, this is this kind of stuff. So going with that. But honor, okay? Be an honorable person. Think about what in your moral system, whatever you declare that to be, what is right and what is wrong. You know, all these people out there now are upset about different issues from, you know, people are being mean to transgendered people. Okay, I can be polite to anyone, right? And and if I don't know, maybe, because sometimes, you know, you'll see it as where like at a fast food restaurant, somebody doesn't know someone's preferred pronouns. The other person gets really upset and angry and starts yelling and screaming. It's like, look, it, it was an accident, okay? Chill out. All right, but we can be polite to one another. We can be totally cool and chill, and we don't have to make a big deal out of this stuff. But that's not an excuse to hate people. We still have to be honorable. We still have to care about each other. Love is the path to righteousness, okay? 
It is God's love that brought us into existence, and it is our mutual love and respect that is going to get us out of all of these messes. When people don't respond with love and respect, then we have to take steps to protect ourselves. Uh, that's where the bad guys come in the world, okay? But we, the people who are trying to be on the right path, who are trying to do the right thing, we should always be right there uh, with the, the peace, love, and, and nurturing, harmonious, and supportive society kindness and, and goodness, and being honorable to one another, and not abusing people, not taking advantage of people, and looking for that, I want to say, that righteous connection. The people who, who want to be your friends, the people who really care about you, who want what's best for you. And so when we get people like Jordan Peterson, and Jocko Willens, and others out there who are trying to teach people some of these basic moral values, uh, trying to give them a sense to, to think for themselves, mostly, just arming them with knowledge to... to get their own lives together, uh, a, a lot of what they're saying is basically, you know, look out for your own mental health, you know, be honorable toward others so that you don't hurt other people, look out for your own health and find a path forward. So with that, we'll leave this topic and I'll be back on it uh, in the next podcast. All right. So our next topic for this episode is motherhood. Now that we've talked about fatherhood and I've given a, a layout of what you're missing if you've been missing a father, I'm going to be talking about motherhood and what you're missing if you're missing a mother in your life. Something that's a little bit personal to me considering that this is where I'm at. Uh, I had a dad, had a father in my uh, maternal grandfather, but I didn't have a mother around. Uh, she wasn't a healthy person to be around. So that was uh, something of a loss to me. So you'll have to forgive me in advance that uh, since this is a bit of a personal and touchy subject for me, uh, talking about it can be a little bit uh, difficult, <laughs> a little bit troublesome. All right, so the, the most important thing um, about motherhood, I want to talk about the value of femininity. We have in our society today uh, this strange thing going on where masculinity and femininity are being redefined as things that they are not and have never been. Uh, we have people trying to describe uh, toxic masculinity as anything that's, you know, men being men. And the things that they're talking about and calling toxic masculinity are behaviors that men would not tolerate of other men, right? So what's what gives if that's not you know masculine behavior then it can't be toxic masculinity it's bad it's bad behavior plain and simple and uh we also get this uh, this concept of femininity that's been created by uh, i want to say modern feminism that it it's bad it's weak it's uh uh, demeaning to women these kinds of things uh, if we're going to make women equal then we should value things that are inherent to women. But this is where we get to biophobia, something that uh, Dr. Gad Saad talks about a lot in academia, in the media, and all of these, these people <laughs> out there. Uh, they have completely lost their, uh, in addition to their ability to think, uh, they've lost their, their perspective. The fact is, there are biological differences between men and women. They're inherent. They are built in. You can't change them. There are, uh, to, to follow from that, right, following from that, there are ways in which men think differently than women. Now, those are generalizations. Are there women who think more like men? You, know, you look at brainwaves on certain women and they have more male-looking brainwaves. Okay, yeah, this happens. Are there men who think more like women? 
it happens too. Okay, but those are the exceptions that prove the rule. Generally speaking, a lot of men tend to think a certain way. A lot of women tend to think a certain way. And by going to the extremes, like we, you know, uh, we say that, well, men are stronger than women. And then somebody's like, oh, yeah, well, what about Ronda Rousey and some of these, you know, uh, fighters that, you know, they could be this. Yeah, but there's only one of her. And there's only a handful of women that are that strong. Uh, and generally speaking, most men are stronger. Okay, so the exception does not disprove the generalization. And these are generalizations, so they don't apply to everybody, but they do apply generally speaking. So, back to the point here. There are differences between men and women and differences in the way we think. Uh, and I want to say differences in the way we feel and the way we think about feelings, but I'm going to come back to that uh, here in, in a second. So, when it comes to things that women like, Right, things that uh, women prefer that men don't prefer. If there are women who like flowers and pretty colors and girls like to play with dolls and that kind of thing, uh, we can either say that that's okay and not demean it and say, well, no, girls shouldn't play with dolls. They should play with rockets and, and uh, pickup trucks and uh, toy machines so that they can be like boys. Well, then we've kind of devalued femininity. If diversity is real, then we should be celebrating differences in ways of thinking. And so we should simply say that instead of assuming that the male way of thinking is right, we should be opening our minds and saying, well, maybe the female way of thinking is also of value. In fact, not only is it of value, it's of equal value. Okay, so men want to say, you know, oh, well, we can put our emotions aside briefly and, and struggle through something in, in the short term, and we think that makes us strong and, and what have you. Okay, that is true. On the other hand, women have the strength to feel, to deal with stress, to cry, to process it, and to move on. Uh, that is a, a great strength. Sometimes men lack this strength. Uh, we will let our, uh, let's say, our, our emotional baggage just build up on us until we snap. That's not a healthy way to live. Women are better at that than men are. So, again, strengths of women, value femininity, and stop trying to belittle some image, some straw man of what femininity is so that we can make females act like males. The fact is, if we say that acting like female or acting like a woman or being feminine is bad, then we are demeaning women. That's sexist period, end of story, right? Where we're going to say, well, we want women to manifest the worst behaviors of men, right? And there's a big feminist, they, oh, women should be promiscuous and women should be able to run around and do whatever they want. Okay, so this was something that women have been complaining about men for millennia that guys will run around. Well, why do they run around? Well, we have a biological imperative to reproduce. Uh, men seek sexual diversity. It uh, is diverse sexual encounters and experiences, not because... Uh, well, I mean, some, some guys are bad, but not because we're bad in general, but because we're programmed that way. We are programmed to reproduce. Likewise, women are also programmed for the same thing. But on the other end of that, they're supposed to find a protector, uh, a man who is strong, confident, and capable of protecting them, form an emotional bond with this man, and tie him down. Right? And we've had this great compromise in civilization for some time where... Instead of running around and, and, let's just say, sowing his oats in many fields, uh, a woman can, uh, women have created a situation, or, or had in traditional society, where men were forced 
to court a woman, treat her with respect, to make arrangements with her family so that she was safe and protected, uh, to create this legal marriage where within this marriage her rights were protected, his rights were protected, and man exchanges monogamy and domesticity, right, being a safe person to be around, in exchange for the woman providing him with the thing he wants, right, and of course the children that result from that. So he knows that all of her children are his children, and she knows that they will be her children, and thus they will care for her when they inherit his estate, and uh, her economic security is secured. Now, that's, that's the traditional way of things. That's the way things were for many, many years until we started shaking things up in the modern era. And we've had some things like industrialization change the way the family works, and so uh, there, there are some... Uh, negative effects to that, let's just say. By the 1950s, the, this, this concept that feminists talk about, this uh, comfortable concentration camp, that uh, a woman was just sitting at home and had nothing to do, and you know, she just cooks the meals for her man and this kind of thing, that was a problem. But it wasn't a problem of sexism or, or what have you. Industrialization had changed the way the house worked. Before that, generally speaking, men and women worked together to sow the fields, to irrigate crops, to repair fences, build houses, build barns, repair and maintain all of these things, uh, and to harvest, right? Everyone worked together, generally speaking. Now, for the well-to-do, obviously, for those who are wealthy or the nobility, uh, as you might say, uh, they didn't have to do this. In any case, we created an artificial situation through industrialization where that work wasn't necessary anymore. Now we have running water. You don't have to go out to fetch water from a well. Uh, all of the products are manufactured in a factory somewhere. And so uh, the role that women had played in previous society changed. Now, there are a couple of ways you can go from there. One way is... So if women are not wanting to stay home and have nothing to do and, and not be as productive in society, then they can go out and work, like my grandmother did, uh, who was the secretary to the city attorney of Alameda for a good number of years. Uh, and so they can have uh, a role in the workforce. Well, then in the 60s, we began to ask this question, what, what role in the workforce? Just being secretaries? Uh, just being uh, nurses? What about women being doctors? What about women being lawyers? Uh, what about the city attorney being a woman? Okay, so we started this, this path to equalization. And that uh, equality is not a bad thing. So you know, there are going to be people out there who are going to say, I'm all kinds of horrible things, I'm sure, just for saying the things I'm saying. I'm a misogynist, I'm a sexist, whatever. Equality is not a bad thing. If uh, a woman wants to go out and work in the workforce, she can do that. And she and her husband will have to work out if they're going to have children, uh, how they're going to care for those children, and what responsibilities they're going to take on in the house. All of that household work has to be done, so they can figure that out. The problem we're getting now is we've gone so far from anything that is healthy. We've gone so far from uh, respecting women wanting to behave in a feminine manner and uh, teaching men to behave in a respectable manner uh, that the value of women has lowered in our society today. Women are not treated with the same respect that they were. Uh, women who are being promiscuous feel used. They feel they're more likely to suffer depression. These, these studies are out there. You can find them. <laughs> you don't have to cite them. Uh, the fact is, uh, women are not happy in the present circumstances. And now, some women are complaining that men find them unapproachable that men will not approach them and make passes at them or, or hit on them in modern parlance. Uh, so that, that's a problem if men are afraid to engage. 
okay? So back to the, the point about motherhood. Motherhood is a really important aspect of femininity. It is a really important thing that a woman does and an important role in the family. And believe me, I know because I didn't have one. And lacking one has been a major setback in my life. In addition to the PTSD, the trauma, and, and mild autism, that has been uh, a major problem for me. So let's talk about some of the things that, that come from motherhood and the quality of femininity, something that should be celebrated, something we should be happy about, uh, not something that we should poo-poo and, and you know, speak ill of because we, we think it's bad or it's weak or something like that. Uh, again, making women uh, behave in the worst manners of men is not a good thing. So what are the most important things a mother does? We talked about the, the most important thing a father does in uh, a child's life. What are some of the things a mother does? Love is the most important one. Now, fathers are loving too, but there's a way that uh, mothers love, again, sensitive topic for me, there's a way that mothers love that men just can't quite reproduce. And we, we've got a, a sense kind of culturally of the importance of a mother's love, that, that joke the old saw, you know, a face that only a mother could love, you know, the idea that mother's love is unconditional. Uh, maybe not completely unconditional, let's just say. But, you know, mother loves you no matter what. If you, if you fail, if you lose the race, if you, if you don't get the A plus that you wanted in that class, you, you know, you still have mother's love. It's a, it's a safe place, a home base. And safety is the second thing. When you're with mom, you're safe. Emotionally, physically, mom is a, a source of safety for you. Should be, in any case. And finally, just like with the father, an example right? If your mother is someone who is in the home, who has uh, some say in how things are done, who uh, does some of the work in the house, maybe she works outside the house, maybe she stays at home and uh, supports uh, her husband. In any case, this mother figure is an important example for young men, especially of what they're going to expect in their lives, what kind of partner they're looking for. Um, Sigmund Freud really did have it let me say he said more than he knew, perhaps, when he said that you know young women will tend to seek men like their fathers, and young men will tend to seek out women like their mothers. Right? That's this is an archetype that these uh, father and mother roles present you with examples that you then go and use and apply in your own life. Uh, and I applied it in mine. I deliberately sought out a woman to be uh, my life partner who is exactly the opposite of my mother uh, because I watched how uh, badly behaved my mother was and what that did to my life, right? Example is, is there. One of the things I find most valuable about femininity and about women is emotional intelligence. Now, not having had a mother in my life, my level of emotional intelligence, it, it, could, it, could it be a negative number? Is it possible to have negative emotional, like to, to have uh, an emotional intelligence level that is so bad that you like deliberately annoy everyone around you and have, you know, negative emotions toward everyone? Um, I, it's, I suppose it's possible. In any case, that was uh, a good part of my childhood. Uh, is if you, if you could imagine a child as completely out of tune emotionally with everyone around them as it is possible to be to the point where... You know, I was happy when everyone else was sad, sad when everyone else was happy. I mean, I was just completely out of step with everyone around me. I had no idea what other people were feeling, and I was always pushing everything over the line. 
Uh, and I still struggle with some of these things today. I learned to to learn. I learned a little more emotional intelligence, but uh, this is a difficult part, <laughs> difficult thing to master. Let's just say. In any case, in terms of a, a emotional intelligence, knowing yourself knowing how you feel and understanding what that means. Our feelings are not just something that happens. I mean, they are integral, they are natural to us. Um, I would describe a feeling as something a little more primal, maybe like a, uh, a passion, as uh, Baruch Spinoza would have described it. But an emotion, when I talk about emotions, those are our expressed feelings. And emotions are what we allow to come out. So you may be, you know, furiously angry, but your emotional response to someone might be to change your tone a little bit and say, you know, back off, right? Instead of yelling and screaming, you might be yelling and screaming inside, but maybe you only take it up that far. So you've expressed the emotion of anger in a mild way. Now, if they don't cut it out, maybe you're going to tone it up and start really letting them know. But uh, stronger emotional intelligence would be that you would see some of the subtle signs, the hints in body language, uh, in tone, in the way people are talking. Feel what's going on, understand what they're thinking, and be, uh, well, one would hope you would be sensitive to it. But that's the point. If you start, if you have a friend, as you're talking, you get a sense that maybe they're going through something, right? There would be a little bit of emotional intelligence there. You're picking up on the let's say the subtext or undercurrent for everyone around you. Something that, again, I don't do very well myself, all right? There are uh, a few older men I know who are, uh, were, at least until I had a chance to talk to them, uh, they felt that, that high emotional intelligence was a feminine quality and, and maybe that made them effeminate as men. And I was saying, no, I think uh, men should mature. We should grow more emotionally intelligent as we get older. It comes a little more naturally to women. Again, knowing their own feelings, knowing the feelings of those around them, and adapting to those. Uh, renegotiating relationships uh, based on how people are feeling. Maybe somebody doesn't feel like they're really part of the group, and so, you know, well, let's make sure that she knows she's part of the group, or he knows he's part of the group, things of that nature. Okay? Awareness of other people's feelings. Men should grow into this, but especially as young men, we're not not as attuned to that. Now, obviously, when other men are being aggressive with us, we're much more tuned into that. But we have heard for a long time the complaint from women throughout human history that men are insensitive. And part of the reason that we are insensitive is that we are not focused on emotional intelligence. Uh, women, on the other hand, are. And, you know, today, I would hope that men can learn to be more emotionally intelligent, should prioritize this. Uh, and women have certainly prioritized being tougher. Uh, that's, that's certainly a positive thing that's come out of uh, feminism and modern equal rights and equality is women are getting tougher. And that's a good thing. And uh, that creates uh, and engenders a uh, quality of, of equity and uh, dignity and decency uh, among men and women. Uh, mothers are loving and supportive. I talked about that safe place that they provide for you. So you've got this safe spot where uh, your mother is providing you with your care and your comfort, uh, making you feel loved, making you feel safe. But she's also pushing a little bit. You know, yeah, that drawing is good, but next time, color between the lines. Uh, there's, there's always that, you know, oh, you got a, a B plus in that class. Well, next time, let's get an A minus. A little bit of pushing. I, I had a, a friend, uh, an Israeli uh, startup 
uh, technology guy, and he was a lot of fun, but I, I won't uh, name him on the podcast. In any case, he made the point one time. He said, uh, uh, why do, he, he joked, you know, why do Jewish people succeed so well? Well, we have Jewish mothers. And he would talk about how uh, every time he'd come home and he'd tell his mother, you know, hey, I won this or I won that. And she would always say uh, something like, you know, very good, but you can do better. Something akin to that. And uh, so he joked that recently he had uh, uh, earned an honorary PhD from a school and he could hear his, you know, his dearly departed mother, uh, her voice in the back of his head, oh, only honorary, right? So he joked that uh, if it's never good enough, then you're always going to seek something better. And uh, that's something that mothers can do. Mothers done properly give you that support. and, And of course, you know, hey, you know, you did a good job. That's a nice drawing, but you can do better. And so the mother who pushes you to be a better iteration of yourself, and that is something I think is an interesting quality of feminism, uh, femininity, excuse me, that uh, I always appreciate is that I always strive to be better, but I'll push myself to a certain point, burn out, and kind of fall on my face at a certain point. at at a certain juncture in the process. And, you know, my wife can put her hand on my shoulder and just say, you can do better. You know, she keeps pushing me to be a better person, to be a better iteration of myself. Uh, And that I appreciate very much. Uh, She also improves on herself, and I encourage that. But uh, having that mother figure or a feminine figure in your life who who can keep pushing you to be better, to be the best incarnation of yourself, that is a very positive thing as well. Uh, compassion is a subset of emotional intelligence, and compassion is very, very important. The ability to connect with people uh, on an emotional level quickly and really understand how they're feeling is a valuable skill. It's a valuable skill uh, in many careers, especially if you're going to be a pastor or a rabbi, uh, a counselor or therapist of, of any kind, psychiatrist, a doctor, a nurse. This is very, very important. But it's also valuable in sales. Uh, it's valuable in teamwork to, to be able to connect with people quickly and have a compassion for their situation to understand where they're coming from, uh, feel for them a little bit, uh, not, too, not too much. Right, you don't, you don't want to. You can empathize with someone to a certain degree, but at a certain point, you can take it too far. But at the very least, to show them that you understand who they are, that you value them as a person, and you understand their situation, and that is a, an important thing. Um, left to our own devices, I want to say, uh, I don't know that men will necessarily develop this characteristic. Uh, we can be compassionate toward one another, but we can also be extremely brutal. Uh, there's, a, there's a cruelty to masculinity that can be there. Uh, we have very strict hierarchies. We do not have to be kind to one another, right? We can be uh, extremely violent. And so compassion is a value that you can learn from fem- femininity, kindness, decency. These can also be masculine qualities, but at the same time, uh, general benevolence, as the Neo-Confucians would say, uh, that seeking enlightenment is, is seeking benevolence, being a kinder, more decent person, being more compassionate, and being more aware of other people's feelings. That's a valuable thing. And like I said, I don't know that just growing older and experiencing the world, that men will necessarily develop this skill. Uh, it's, it's, very, it's very tricky. It's a difficult thing. Uh, if we don't pay attention, uh, you, can, you can lose that and uh, uh, lack compassion. Now, I've talked a little bit about uh, earlier about the general physical 
characteristics of men and women. Again, it's a generalization. So yes, is there a woman who runs faster than some men? Perhaps. Is there a woman who fights better than some men? Perhaps. But again, we're speaking on the whole, in general, about the differences between men and women. Now, uh, men think it's a strength in our uh, emotional, uh, our ability to, to sort of put off our feelings or to, uh, to take them down a notch, right? We, we think we can bury them for a time and then uh, move on, uh, deal with, with something we need to deal with, a crisis or what have you. Uh, you don't really turn them off. They're still there, okay? But we, we think of that as a strength, right? And I still think... Uh, as I described earlier, that the ability just to feel the negative emotions, process them, uh, maybe, maybe it's something that brings you to tears, uh, but to process them and move on is a very valuable skill. It's a valuable skill for men. Women have a much easier time doing it. Is that a strength? I think it is. Uh, it's certainly a, a strength that benefits mental health. These days, we have so many men in middle age committing suicide at just alarming rates. Uh, I think a lot of that is men are not developing this emotional intelligence, being in tune with themselves, recognizing their own shortcomings, uh, working on self-improvement perhaps, where they can, they can have that gratification of achieving certain things. But also, uh, they are, they're not strong enough to work through their emotions, get through those problems, and move on with life. Uh, in terms of physical strength, yes, men are, on the whole, stronger than women. <clears throat> and when I, I spoke of uh, domestic violence in the fatherhood section, uh, when you think of the full strength of a man applied physically to a woman, it is a horrific concept. I mean, it just it, the, the idea that some man would go beat up a woman is so horrific. Uh, so terrifying because again, there, there's uh, unless the woman is an expert in martial arts, and even then, <laughs> that she is an expert in martial arts, uh, still, uh, you know, a, a, a punch landed is a punch landed. And the fact is, men are so much physically uh, stronger than women on the whole that the mismatch can be really scary at times if men are not behaving in a safe, respectable manner where the women in their company know that they are not a threat then we have a, a really good situation there. Uh, the quality of a society is defined by the quality of its men, right? This is, this is just a fact, okay? It, it doesn't matter how good the women are. If the men are going around murdering one another, raping and pillaging, society's going to suck, just plain and simple, okay? Now, on the other hand, if the men are decent, dignified, if they're behaving with respect toward one another and toward women, uh, even if the women are bad, let's just say, I mean, again, I don't want to get into stereotypes, whatever, but even if the society has a, a poor quality of women, the society will be relatively safe and decent, okay? So uh, we really need to reorient our focus to teaching young men how to be decent. And femininity is a value there. Again, compassion, emotional intelligence, decency, kindness. Uh, these are not necessarily feminine qualities. Each of them has a feminine character. They also have a masculine character. Uh, I want to say kind of a yin-yang concept there, right? Where you have a little bit of one in the other. But the fact is, these are, are qualities of decency. Now, given that, okay, as a man, especially a tall man, big and muscular, I'd like to think that I'm very strong and and tough. Now, of course, you know, if I get a, a man cold, I'm laying in bed like I'm dying. But 
in any case, uh, I, I would like to imagine that I'm a big, strong person, right? And I don't worry too much about uh, physical safety and that kind of thing because you know, I'm pretty much the 300-pound gorilla in any room that I'm in. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I have watched my wife drop a watermelon out of a pretty sensitive part of her person and get right back up, take a shower, and go change a diaper. Uh, women have an incredible physical strength that, uh, in that area that men lack. And let me tell you, the, granted, their, their bodies have a lot of uh, natural pain-numbing uh, endorphins and, and such. Uh, they also have, uh, a, uh, it's kind of built in that they sort of forget the pain of the experience, neurologically speaking. But the fact is, that is still a lot. And so, you know, us guys, we think we're big and we're tough, but if I had to pass a kidney stone, I'm telling you, I'd be laying in bed dying, you know, hey, you know, let me write out my will, I, I, you know, write, write on my tombstone that I was cut down before my time. I am going to be <laughs> so gone. It's not even funny. Uh, meanwhile, you know, women do this, and they can do this regularly. Uh, we have six children, and uh, there are a number of women I know who have ten or more. Uh, women have this strength. So do we, in that sense, okay, in terms of greater strength, can I bench press more than my wife? Certainly. Beyond a doubt. Okay. Uh, but when it comes to childbirth, that's something that, that is a strength that she has that I lack. And so, again, there's a, a certain diversity and equality there. And we can look at that and say, okay, now I can do a lot of heavy lifting and, you know, I think I'm big and tough and what have you, but she can put up with that and, you know, have children. Uh, again, the, there doesn't have to be a lack of value, okay, just because women aren't as physically strong as men or maybe don't run as fast doesn't make them less valuable as people, okay? Just because men think we're all big and tough and we're all bad doesn't make us better people, for sure. Uh, as I've just been talking about emotional intelligence, I think a person with high emotional intelligence is a valuable person to society. I think it is a very valuable thing to have, to possess that emotional intelligence. And I think if you lack it, if you are like uh, deliberately cruel to a lot of people and uh, you just lack a certain dignity and, a, and decency toward others, uh, that that is a bad thing, okay? And that's not necessarily a feminine quality, again, but it is a value that men can learn better from women. Women are more in tune with this. So, uh, again, back to strengths and weaknesses, right? Uh, your father teaches you how to be, uh, uh, you know, how to, how to get back up and get back on that bike, how to get back after it. You know, you get that love and support, but then also, hey, go get him, Tiger. Uh, but mom also gives you that love, that big hug, that safe space, and a little nudge. You know, come on, you can do better. You can, you can be better. Uh, you can expect more of yourself. And achieve it, right? Um, and have the big physical strength. We run a little faster on the whole. We do this better, do that better. Okay. Women have a lot of things they do better, right? Especially childbirth. So we don't have to be Aristotelian here and say, well, we have two separate things. Therefore, one must be superior to the other. We can say that these two things are fundamentally equal, but they're also diverse. And when we talk about cultural diversity, we're always out there, you know, oh, well, that means that somebody has a different experience. Um, and I will tell you that I'm going to talk about cultural diversity elsewhere. There are valuable, especially in the business environment and marketing, there's valuable knowledge of different cultures. Uh, the same principle applies to biological gender, okay? It is valuable to have men who have all the strengths of masculinity and who are dignified and decent and behaving as men properly should, 
behaving themselves so that we have a high quality of society, that we have a society that is safe and just and kind and compassionate. And it is valuable that we have women who are feminine, uh, who are able to deal with their emotional problems in a more constructive manner oftentimes than men do, uh, who are able to push our society, push everyone in our society to be the best incarnations of ourselves, to be better, to be our best, uh, and to espouse the best values that we can. And so these two things are fundamentally equal, all right? God made humanity, and he made uh, woman from man's side, according to uh, biblical lore, according to myth, right? And uh, we have a, a commentary, at least in, in Jewish thought, where we say, well, man took the woman uh, from Adam's side, right? He didn't take her from his head that she should dominate him. He didn't take her from his foot that, that he should dominate her. But he took her from his side that they should be equal in all things. And so these two equal people come together and form a union, a traditional monogamous marriage, and it produces the best results for everyone, the best comfort for everyone, safety, security, uh, the knowledge that you'll have a, a companion to grow old with, I think, and you have a mother and a father to provide for the children who result from the union, if any children do result, or if you adopt, uh, God bless you. So. Uh, these are, are important things. Uh, those two parents help create a more complete person. And the statistics bear it out. Uh, children from single-parent families, especially where the single parent is the mother, it does not devalue women. It just says something about the value of a two-parent family. Uh, children from single-parent families are much more likely to commit crimes, much more likely to have uh, poor educational results, uh, much more likely to live in poverty. Whereas children who are from two-parent households are much more likely to rise out of poverty at some point in their life, uh, either in their childhood or as an adult. They have better educational outcomes and they're much less likely to commit crime. So it is clear that the two-parent family produces more mentally healthy and well-balanced children. So that, that point is, is very important there. We've talked about the value of a father and the value of a mother. But both components are necessary. Okay, you, you have a, a hydrogen atom. You have to have the proton and the electron. Okay, the two have to go together in order for there to be an atom. Uh, there has to be a mother and a father in order to have a family, really. Now, we've come to a time where we also have people who don't follow those traditional values, and that's okay too. We have uh, families now that are two men married to one another, two women married to another. I'm not gonna make a value judgment on that. That's all fine and well. We're a tolerant, open society where all people are equal. Do as you please. Uh, and I know uh, personally a couple of families where they are same-sex couples who have adopted and done marvelous things helping children out. Um, and uh, again, those two people, being both male or both female, are able to provide better, uh, a better household and a better environment for those children. Still, as I'm saying, two-parent families, households, whatever the, the gender, the biological gender we're talking about, the biological sex, whatever chromosome we're talking about here, uh, we still produce better results, okay? Two-parent families. Um, now, uh, to speak of the two genders and the role of mother, uh, does this demean people who are transsexual? 
There's a lot of people out there. If you don't change the language to, to birthing people and this kind of thing and to use terms like man and woman, that this is anti-transgender, we can be polite, courteous, dignified, compassionate toward anyone, and we can allow uh, and tolerate and accept people in our society who transition from this to that. Uh, but to a point, right, I, the idea of the biological boys competing in women's sports is not one I'm ever going to endorse because I have a daughter and when she goes out to compete, I don't want her to believe that boys are always going to be better. I want her to compete against like kind where she has a fair shot. Uh, but we can be tolerant and kind toward these people. It's not hateful to value tradition and value the way things have always been done and speak of things biologically uh, and uh, speak of what works. The two-parent opposite-sex family is something that has worked for mankind for a long time. That's what works. We've got more equality now. We've come a long way in terms of learning about mental health. Uh, we have learned uh, how to teach men, if we would bother to do so, uh, from one man to another, from a father to a son, how to be dignified and decent men, how to be better men. Uh, and we have uh, the ability to raise good women who are secure in their femininity, secure and confident in themselves, tougher, let's just say, and able to go out in the world and seek their own equal place. Uh, so things have improved, but we still look at, from a mental health point of view, what works best. And so what works best is the two-parent family. Whatever those two parents happen to be is, is inconsequential. We want that two-parent family. We need a father figure. We need a mother figure. We need to learn uh, the, the strength of get back on the bike and get at them and the strength of uh, you know, the safety and the love, but also you can be a better you. Let, let's, let's work on making it better. And with that, that is the core of what makes family successful and uh, child-rearing successful. As always, uh, everyone has value. Everyone was made in the image of their creator, and you have value too, whether you know it or not.